Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. This is the reading of the word of the Lord. All right. Good morning. My name is Brandon, one of the pastors here. Uh, thank you for being here on race day. Uh, this is always kind of an interesting day to teach. I love to teach on race weekend. Um, so a couple years ago, I think it was three or four years ago, this was kind of the triple crown weekend of uh, the race, Memorial Day weekend, and game seven of the Pacers uh, heat game, which meant if you were at church, you were either a leader and you felt obligated to come to church, or you were... Um, I hate to say loser because I'm here, but like you had no better options. You were stuck. Uh, and so we always have an interesting mix and motley crew of people that are here visiting for the first time on this weekend, coming with family. And so we uh, decided to celebrate race weekend by talking about false prophets. So we're glad that you're here. Uh, that, if you're new, uh, was not intentional. Uh, but for the last nine months, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount and taking uh, apart this famous uh, teaching of Jesus, Matthew chapters 5 to 7. And Jesus' first sermon is kind of inaugural sermon, his longest uh, teaching that we have on record. <clears throat> and so we come here today to chapter 7 for these uh, next several weeks. And we said as Jesus begins to wind down the sermon, um, he doesn't do what we might be uh, wanting him to do. Uh, as you know, somebody gives like a lecture. He doesn't um, tell some inspiring story. He doesn't give a haiku. He doesn't uh, throw a launch party at, uh, with hashtags and T-shirt cannons and uh and, you know, kind of usher in this, this new kingdom, he gives us a series of warnings. And he says, be careful and watch out how you implement this teaching. Because what can bring life, just like anything in our lives, those things that can bring life are also uh, potential vulnerabilities that can be dangerous. And so I used the example last week of my, my son, who, um, my, my 10-year-old, who uh, wanted a pocket knife. And we gave him a pocket knife for his 10th birthday what can bring life and can be helpful to open up things and, and, uh, and cut things can also uh, lead to four stitches in a couple weeks out of basketball. And so anything good in the Christian life can also be weaponized and used against us to damage us and destroy not only us, but those around us. And so Jesus gives us these warnings. And today he gives us this warning about false prophets or uh, the word here is pseudo prophet. Pseudo-apostles, the New Testament talks about, pseudo-teachers, pseudo-Christ. This idea of pseudo means uh, the danger is that they're partly right and partly wrong. Depending on how you look at them, how you listen to them, how you approach them, how you submit to them, they can be partly right and partly wrong, which is part of the danger. And we don't like to talk about uh, false prophets. It's kind of a, a weird thing. We live in a time where um, we want to be nice. We want to be tolerant. We want to kind of say like all roads lead the same, uh, lead to the same destination. So it feels like maybe a throwback to, I don't know if you grew up in church. I did not grow up in church. But when I became a Christian uh, about 25 years ago, I became a Christian in a fundamentalist Baptist church. And uh, we would have these like um, watchdog people in our church that would show up at church on Sunday and they would distribute cassette tapes. I don't know if this is ringing any bells. If not, just be thankful you didn't go to this kind of church. But they would distribute cassette tapes and pamphlets, usually around election cycles, because that's always we know when like the false prophet comes out. 
Um, but they would they would have all this literature and they would put it on people's cars. And, and this kind of feels like that, maybe a throwback to like an old era of culture wars where there's uh, good guys and bad guys and we are to be kind of watchdogs. But the reality is um, we have to be discerning because um, as all of you know, who you allow into your life, the influences that you allow into your life in many ways dictate the direction of your life. And not all paths, not all voices lead to the same destination, right? Um, but here's the thing. We all need prophets. Every community needs prophets. There's a role that prophets have to play in our lives because we live in a world of complexity. We live in a world of chaos. We live in a world of confusion. And oftentimes we live in communities of complacency. And so prophets enter into those spaces to speak truth. And we need prophets in our lives, right? We live in a world on a national level, just culturally. Uh, we talk about fake news. We talk about post-truth realities, which means we live in a world where people are not making decisions on the basis of, of facts and logic, but on emotions. It's very reactionary. And so we're kind of uh, led around by this in, just incessant voices that are kind of like, you know, clanging gongs all day long, uh, dings, beeps on your phone that alert you to the latest cycle of what people are talking about and discussing and reacting to. And, and in that kind of marketplace, there's all of these competing voices, competing agendas, competing ideas, competing ambitions, competing directions that are kind of telling you like, hey, this is the pathway to what's true and what's good and what's beautiful. That's what we call the kingdom, the good life, right? What's true, what's good, and what's beautiful. And there are a lot of people beckoning you calling to you saying this is the way to life go this direction do this think this be this the challenge is we've lost in our world if there ever was one in the west we've lost a shared definition of what is good like what is what is the good what is beautiful we don't have a shared framework of meaning anymore and so we're kind of lacking this central let's call it an anchor point to keep us grounded in reality right and so we're all kind of operating on different definitions of what it means to be good and true and beautiful and so there's a need for clarity there's a need for um, conviction and then just like just put the national way for a second just in our own lives i was thinking this week like so many sermons that i've heard on this passage deal with kind of warning us of things happening uh na- nation nationally globally watch out for false teachers what about just your everyday life? Like your everyday life, my everyday life is complex and confusing, right? Like navigating the, the day in and day out struggles of our fears. We talked about this prayer, just like our fears are for our children. I have four kids. My oldest is going into middle school. We were watching CNN over the weekend uh, at a hotel in Dayton at a wedding and just watching that and talking to my kids from 6 to 12 about our fears and, and their fears and going to school and how they're processing things. And we have all of this complexity that makes us afraid. It makes us anxious about the future. What do we do? Where do we go? Do we put our kids in public school or private school or homeschool? Or how do we navigate these, these realities? Our, our fantasies, right? Like we're navigating our fantasy world, our, our propensity to want to escape from reality and just numb the pain. We have our failures that are constantly kind of teaching us or speaking to us or discipling us into a certain vision for life. Uh, how do we process those failures in the larger story of what God's doing in our lives, our suffering. So many of us are walking through seasons of suffering and just wondering, like, has God abandoned me? Is he here with me? Does he care about me? Does he know me? And, and we, we feel like exiles, right? Like even maybe in the wilderness, 
even within the Christian community because people who used to be our friends are no longer our friends, no longer our allies. And it just feels like our world has been disoriented, kind of torn apart. Um, and it's very confusing. Our limitations, right? Like some of us are moving into seasons with new limitations. We're facing chronic illnesses. We're facing the loss of a family member, the loss of a spouse, the loss of a child. And we have these limitations. We have received news that we can't have children. And we're wondering, what does that mean for me and my everyday life? What's the pathway forward? These are all arenas where we need clarity. We desire clarity. And, and that's the role of the prophet. There were four primary leadership offices. I'll throw them up on the board here uh, on the screen. Four primary leadership offices in the Old Testament. You had the king. And the role of the king was to mediate God's rule and his laws among uh, the people. Um, you had the priest. The priest brought God's forgiveness. They mediated God's forgiveness to the people. They helped them deal with their sins, with their spiritual health and vitality. You had the sage. Think of like Ecclesiastes or the book of Proverbs. You have all this wisdom literature where we learn about God's wisdom. What does it mean to to live skillfully? That word wisdom in the Old Testament was just basic skill at living life in alignment with God's heart and his desires and his vision for human flourishing. And that was the role of the sage was to bring wisdom, the ancient wisdom, to kind of curate that and invite people onto those ancient pathways. And the prophet, the prophet would bring God's word. Prophets bring an ancient clarity and conviction. They're luminaries, right, in the midst of darkness. They are guides uh, on the trail, the journey of the destination of life. They're reformers. They call people out of, you see them oftentimes in the Old Testament, calling um, privileged groups of people, insulated groups of people, uh, people who are um, transmitting justice, they, they shake them out of that complacency. Kind of the, the primary language of a prophet is wake up. Wake up. You're asleep. You're living in a sleepy reality. Wake up to God's ultimate reality. That's the role of a prophet. Modern day, we don't call people prophets. That would be kind of weird. We, we call them things like pastors. We call them uh, podcasters. We call them uh, authors, Christian authors or thought leaders. At Soma, we might call them missional community leaders or elders or deacons. Uh, some of you who became Christians at campus ministry, maybe you call them a, a campus ministry staff person. These are kind of the modern day luminaries. And here's the crazy thing. We need prophets. And yet Jesus says, beware of people who will use or manipulate or exploit a prophetic gifting to lead us away from the good, what's good and true and beautiful. Beware, Jesus says, back to this passage, of false prophets, pseudo-prophets, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Every one of the beware statements, there's six in the book of Matthew. Every one of the beware statements in the book of Matthew has to do with spiritual leaders. People who uh, uh, pretend to be one thing, who who posture and present themselves as spiritual leaders, as gurus, as guides, as uh, authors and thought leaders, um, as pastors. He says, beware of these spiritual leaders because not everyone who claims the name of Jesus is for Jesus. This word, watch out, uh, is the word prosecco. And it's, it's uh, aimed a couple of different places. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, you can look these up later. Uh, Jesus talks about watch out for the hypocrites. Um, Matthew chapter 10, verse 17, he talks about his opponents. Watch out for those. Beware of these opponents who present themselves as spiritual leaders, but actually are leading people towards destruction. Uh, in Matthew chapter 16, three times, he says, beware of the leaven of the scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes and the Pharisees were essentially 
uh, like religious attorneys and religious scholars and Bible teachers, priests, rabbis, those kinds of things. So Jesus says, watch out for those people. And it's not just in the book, book of Matthew. When you start reading the Bible, we're going to set a record today for most scripture passages quoted in one sermon because it is literally almost in every single, I know some of you are excited, every single book of the Bible, there is a warning about false prophets. So look back at Deuteronomy chapter 13. This is a mega theme of the Bible. Watch out who you allow to influence your heart, your imagination, right? It's presented in the New Testament in the language of footholds. Watch out the footholds. Watch out. It's like opening a window, right? Because the room is kind of stale. When you open that window, you are vulnerable to people sneaking in and attacking you. And that's kind of the idea. So Deuteronomy chapter 13, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods or trust in other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them or trust them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. Not every voice is a good voice. Jeremiah chapter 14. This book is really all about uh, true versus false prophets. You have the prophet Jeremiah speaking to the people of Israel in their exile, right? In their wilderness moment, where they, when they are vulnerable because of their season of life and their story, where they're vulnerable. Here's what Jeremiah says. And the Lord said to me, the prophets are prophesying lies in my name. They're attaching God's name. They're using Christian language. I did not send them, he says, nor did I command them or speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination, that's like witchcraft, and the deceit of their own minds. Things that are conjured up in their own imagination. They're, they're proffering those things as from God. A prophet was supposed to take God's word and speak God's word to the people. Nothing more, nothing less. And they were, there, there's the danger of adding to God's words or subtracting from God's words. And that's what's happening here in the book of Jeremiah. Not only in the Old Testament, it's the New Testament, right? Almost every single epistle written by Paul or Peter has a warning about false prophets. It was a major issue in the early church. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching or sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, their own desires, their own longings. I don't know if this is a good thing we don't struggle with this today, right? Uh, people want to be affirmed. They want to be encouraged. They, they get something in their mind that they want to hear. They call that itching ears. And then they will find people to affirm those things that they deeply desire. And then they'll call it Christian spirituality. Second uh, Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the masters Jesus who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, so what's motivating this is greed, and we'll talk about this here in just a second, a hunger. Uh, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. These are warnings. And so there's a call to us to be discerning, to be a community that's discerning and the influences that we allow both outside but really inside this community. The greatest threat we'll see in a second is not really voices outside, although some of us are afraid of the secular boogeyman. Um, the, actually, the greatest enemies, the ones we should fear the most, are those that are already right now in this room, on this stage. Those are the people we should uh, fear the most in some ways and be 
uh, with a healthy sense of skepticism. So how do we tell the difference between true and false prophets? Jesus gives us a simple answer here. Verse 16, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruit. Jesus says there are wolves. The wolf was the primary predator uh, of sheep in the, in the ancient world, right? Their primary enemy. Now I think it's still like it's not good to be called a wolf. If you're called a wolf, uh, it's not generally a compliment. Uh, sheep here are representative of God's people. So Jesus says in John 10, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep, right? No, uh, no one comes to the Father except through the gate, right? No sheep comes to God except through me. So Jesus is saying there are predators within the religious community, those who are here to do damage, and it's hard to tell. I mean, the reason he says beware, wake up, is because you can't tell just by looking at first appearances, right? It's hard to do, and we talked about this last week. Jesus says not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, who casts out demons and have successful ministries and are gifted leaders are actually working for Jesus. He says, be careful. They, they, they're, they're orthodox. They have good doctrine. They, they assent to the Westminster or the Apostles' Creed or the London Baptist Confession of Faith or whatever. You know, they have the right doctrine. They're very enthusiastic. Lord, Lord, there's lots of intensity, lots of devotion, lots of false public piety, um, lots of excitement. Um, they're, they're sometimes movement leaders, right? They can gather crowds of people. Um, they're authentic, right? They're vulnerable. Sometimes they even use their wounds and their vulnerability to gather crowds kind of in our, our cultural moment that we live in. They're winsome. They know all the insider language. We said last week they'd, they'd be exactly the kind of person that John Christ, uh, if you know YouTube at all, John Christ would kind of parody and make fun of. Uh, they, they, they posture themselves as spiritual authorities. They claim to be very knowledgeable and often are knowledgeable of scripture. They've, they've done, you know, massive scripture memory programs and they, they speak all the right language. They have a Christian appearance. They even claim to be Christ centered. And yet Jesus says, watch out. You'll recognize them by their fruit. This idea of fruit, um, Jesus draws on some things that have been very common agriculturally, right? In that culture, grapes and figs, thorns and thistles, these are everyday uh, life experiences that people have. But this is actually an allusion back to Jeremiah uh, chapter 8, verse 13. Uh, talking about false prophets, God says through the prophet Jeremiah, I went out into the field to gather fruit, to gather my fruit, to gather my grapes and my figs, and the trees were barren. The, the fruit was shriveled up and poisonous. So God said, what, what I've installed in the community to bring about life and vitality and human flourishing has, has not produced the kind of fruit that I've wanted. And so he says that tree is going to be cut down. Healthy trees produce healthy fruit. Diseased trees produce poisonous, diseased fruit. In other words, he's talking about character here, Right? Um, a living tree produces according to its nature. A fig tree produces figs. It doesn't produce grapes. A, a vine produces grapes, not figs. Thorns and thistles multiply according to their kind. They produce more thorns and thistles. There's three kind of categories here I want to give you for testing and discerning true prophets from false prophets. 
Uh, there's three kinds of fruit that the Bible talks about. One here is, I think, primarily in mind. The other two are taught throughout the New Testament. So I want to give you these categories just for a reference point, just so as we're talking about this, um, we, we know we're on the same page. So let me give you three tests for discerning true prophets from false prophets, true influences and voices from those that are false and those that lead us away from the life that is truly life, um, the Apostle John says. The first fruit, the first test is the fruit of their life, the fruit of their life. The second test is the fruit of their teaching. And then the third test is the fruit of their influence. So the fruit of their life, the fruit of their teaching, and the fruit of their influence. The one that's primarily in view, I think, here in Matthew chapter 7 is the first one, the fruit of their life, talking about their character, right? Like the fruit, who we are, in other words, in our inner life, in our soul, in our, in our uh, alone time with God, like who we are at the heart level will eventually, that's what we call character, right? Uh, that inner person, that inner man or woman, like who we are when nobody's looking, when there's no microphone on, when no lights are on, nobody's, sell, nobody's buying our stuff, that inner person eventually works itself out. That root or the seed will eventually blossom into a life, right? And so um, it will work itself out um, into our life rhythms, how we live, where we spend our time, what we spend our money on, um, our behaviors, our ways of life, our patterns, our words, like what we talk about or what we don't talk about, our prayer life or our lack of a prayer life. So he says, um, Look at the fruit of their life. You'll know them by their fruits. False prophets, he says, inwardly in their inner person are what? Ravenous wolves. Now, it's really interesting. This word ravenous doesn't just mean hungry. Um, it means it can also mean extort or extortion. It can be it's used for blackmail. Um, and it's also used for hunger. So it's this idea that a false prophet has an inner void. They have an inner emptiness. And what is that emptiness? They have no sense of self. They have no sense of who they are. They, they're seeking something in their ministry that they don't have, ministry publicly that they don't have privately. They're seeking power. They're seeking affirmation. They're seeking significance, right? Like that's Jesus' critique of the Pharisees throughout is you have an external righteousness, but on the inside, you're a waterless mist. You're, you're, you're empty. You're, you're, it's vapor. There's nothing there. There's just a void. There's an inner emptiness. And so what these people do is they move out like hungry wolves to consume other people. They consume others. They do ministry in order to get, I mean, this sounds twisted, but this is the world that, this is reality, right? It's reality for Jesus, reality for us. We use other people. We consume other people so that we can feel good about ourselves, so that we can be significant, so we can be somebody, so we can have power, control, prestige, status. It's what drives some men to get doctorate. It's what drives some people to go and get their MBA. It's what drives people to get certain jobs. We feel empty, and so we think, if I can just fill it with accolades, if I can fill it with degrees, if I can fill it with ministry experience, if I can cast out demons in Jesus' name, and I can heal people, and I can prophesy and teach truth, then I'll be somebody. And the sick and twisted thing about the church is you actually get it. Because we all want heroes, Right? We want a man with a cape, a woman with a cape. We want a person with a collar to, to tell us the way. So we're all kind of complicit in this. And so he says, to watch out, they're ravenous wolves. They extort people, they blackmail people to get what they don't have on the inside. And they, and they do it through ministry. 
The kind of fruit that we should be looking for in the life of a true teacher, a true prophet of Jesus is uh, John chapter, or Matthew chapter 3, already mentioned in this book, verse 8. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. The kind of fruit we should be looking for is not perfection. We're not looking for perfect men and women. We're not looking for heroes. We're not looking for somebody who's got it all together, who's got their junk together, so to speak. We're looking for somebody who's repentant. Somebody who knows their sin, who's owning their sin, who's naming their sin, confessing their sin, seeking to be transformed. Like We say it like this at Soma a lot with our leaders. We want to make sure that the transformation that we're offering people is the same transformation that we are experiencing as spiritual leaders. We never want to offer something as a commodity that we are not experiencing ourselves in community as elders, as deacons, as missional community leaders, because the work that God is doing in us leaders is just as important as the work that God is doing through us. And what he's doing through us will always be limited by what he's doing in us. And so we want to be careful that we're keeping, uh, that we're bearing fruit in keeping with Repentance. This is a key issue in the in the community there. Jeremiah was dealing with the exilic community in the Old Testament. Jeremiah chapter 23, uh, verse 14. But here's God's kind of indictment of those prophets and the prophets of Jerusalem, the Christian prophets. I have seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery and they walk in lies. They strengthen the hand of evildoers so that no one turns away from their evil. Their life does not match up with their teaching. The first test is the fruit of their life. What fruit are you seeing in their actual life? And I want to say something here as an application about um, outside of our community. I want to really be focused in on inside of our community. But many of us, I know, uh, are frequenters of podcasts and we read Christian books. And we're very, some of us are very influenced. We're groupies and like roadies for different uh, charismatic personalities. And we have kind of like our favorite teachers and people who've really shaped and influenced us outside the walls of this church. And, and then I thank God for uh, some of those teachers and, and what they stand for. But um, I want to be careful and sound kind of a warning as well. Be careful about subjecting yourself to influences among whom you can't see their actual lives. The more proximity there is, more distance, the less proximity there is, the more distance there is between you and that teacher, the more uh, circumspect and sober and slow and cautious you should be in just downloading their stuff and listening to their stuff and allowing yourself to be influenced by their uh, teaching. I remember uh, a real popular author when I was in college, I, I just, you know, kind of had like a spiritual awakening. And there was a guy named Donald Miller who was very popular. He wrote a book called Blue Like Jazz, which I really appreciated. It was kind of a a little bit of a, a deconstruction of like the religious environment he grew up in. And so he was sharing some stuff. And here's what he said about himself in the season when he was writing and, and deconstructing a lot about church. He said, I've become an infomercial for God and I don't even use the product. Like that's just to me like the perfect characterization of what we're talking about here. Like all of us, it's easy for us to, to be an infomercial for God, but to not actually use the product. And that's the heart of it. I'm not calling Donald Miller a false prophet necessarily. What I'm saying is, it's that that's that's the danger for us is just to follow after these people who are walking billboards for the power and presence of God when it's actually not showing up in their lives. And how would you even know? Like you have no way of testing. You have no way of knowing and drawing near to them. And I'm just telling you, man, like I th- this is my world. Like, unfortunately, I'm one of those weird people. I'm a pastor and I run with pastors and I've had, uh, I would say, the uh, severe mercy of running with a lot of influential uh, pastors with platforms, people whose names you would know. Um, over the years, I used to work in mega churches, and um, and man, it is a dark, dark uh, industry, so to speak. And 
some of the people that you respect and admire, if you spend five minutes with them, you go into your, their homes. It's just not who they present themselves to be. And so just being able to ask some of these basic questions of like, are they the same off stage as they are on stage? You know, um, how do they interact with and treat their spouse and their kids? Like how many kids I know of that absolutely have no relationship with their fathers because their pastors are out saving, their, their dads are pastors and they're out saving the world. And yet uh, the interaction with the spouse is cold, it's hostile, there's bitterness, there's infidelity, all of these things. Um, how do they handle money, sex, and power? How do they, how do they, are, are they under any kind of spiritual authority? Are they just Lone Ranger celebrities? Uh, do they have friends who know them and love them and are calling them to be like Jesus? And these are all questions that we need to be able to answer if we're going to put ourselves under somebody's teaching. And so just be careful about who you subject yourself with uh, and the frequency with which you devote yourself to those teachers. Second thing, uh, the fruit of their teaching. So the fruit of their life, the fruit of their teaching. First Timothy chapter 4. Uh, verse 16, keep a close watch on yourself that where there's life and on, on the teaching or doctrine. Persist in this for so, by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Life and doctrine go together. If you have doctrine without life, that's not good. If you have life without doctrine, not good. So pay attention to their teaching. Pay attention to what they're saying. Pay attention to the contents of what they're teaching. Not just are they nice, not just are they winsome, not just are they charismatic, but... Um, what is the content of their teaching? Acts chapter 20. And this goes to what I was saying earlier about this coming from inside the church. Paul, in his last sermon to the elders at Ephesus before he was killed, said this, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, within your own tribe, will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. The warning here is not to be afraid of the boogeyman outside, but to be afraid of the flesh and blood relationships inside the community of faith. The greatest threat to the future of our church is probably already in this room. Starting with the pastors. And so we need to be aware of the kind of presence that we're bringing into a community. I think this is a call to like self-examination. What kind of presence am I bringing into this community? What kind of teaching? What words? What doctrines am, am I bringing in? Because we talked last week about the importance of scripts. Psychologists tell us that all of us lit, are living out of scripts that are handed to us by uh, the way that we were raised. And so um, we need to be aware of like how our family of origin has shaped our way of being uh, in a community and our ideas around family. Um, we have religious traditions that have shaped us for good and bad, past friendships that have shaped us for good and bad. And here's the thing. None of us really ultimately are just like people arising out of a vacuum who think for ourselves. We'd like to think that we think for ourselves, but we're really just kind of like a, we're mutts, you know, kind of spiritually and emotionally. All of us have people that have influenced us. All of these scripts disciple us into a certain way of being in community. And we've got to be careful that they don't create blind spots in us. Right? Like no false prophet wakes up one day and says, I want to be a false prophet and lead God's people towards the path of destruction. This has never happened before. It's a slow and steady, slippery slope. And it starts with a lack of awareness about how we've been formed, how we've been shaped, and how we come into a community with certain needs and wants and desires that can be toxic. So what are some characteristics of a false prophet's teaching. Let me just throw up some things. I'm summarizing again a large swath of the Bible here for you guys. But let me just throw a couple of these up. How would we know? What's the fruit of their teaching? How would we know if their teaching is not 
consistent with the teaching of Jesus. Um, one uh, sign is that it's very simplistic. Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 11. Um, they, they talk about the false prophets. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Beware of teachers who come and offer comfortable, easy, simplistic solutions to complex issues. Beware of people who want to give you false assurances. Beware of people who only affirm you and never challenge you. This is the heart of false teaching is it's very simplistic. It presents itself as easy and assuring and and self-attesting, but oftentimes it's undermining the complexities of the world in which we live. Our lives are not easy. Second thing we see is oftentimes it can be reductionistic, and it, it can emphasize one thing at the expense of another. False teaching oftentimes is, is mostly right, but when it gets wrong, it gets all the way wrong. And so we can emphasize one thing. We can say it, it's, it's a matter of, again, emphasis on the wrong syllable. Okay, It's like as much what we don't say as what we do say. So we can kind of say, you know, it's kind of popular now, like God is a God of love, and God would never want me to not feel uh, loved and, 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 and these kinds of things. And so we can emphasize God's love, but forget for, Forget the tension of God's love, that God's love is a holy love, that God's love is, is full also of judgment. I mean, like, we can, we can make it very simple and reductionistic. Um, and so when we find ourselves saying things like, well, my God would never do X. My God would never, because he's a loving God, would never force me into this particular lifestyle. Be careful. Make sure that it aligns with Scripture. Because um, that can be the seedbed for um, false teaching. Thirdly, it's tribalistic. It reinforces prejudices and assumptions and interests of a particular cultural group without challenging their narratives and their myths, right? So it's the conservative narrative or the progressive narrative. In the Old Testament, it was often um, the, 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 uh, the group, the cultural group was like the wealthy and the privileged group of religious leaders. And so there was all this oppression and injustice that was happening. And again, it was peace, peace where there is no peace. And it reinforced and galvanized this sense of tribal identity that said, these are the good people, these are the bad people. And we tend to all kind of do this, like, if you're a conservative, the bad people are the, you know, the progressives. If you're progressive, the bad people are over here. Some of you are like, they're all bad. But, you know, whatever. Like, my point is, we can fall into these tribalistic patterns and speech patterns and ways of living. And so we need to be careful uh, that we don't um, get selective with our truth and then rally around that. Um, fourthly, it can be formulaic. False teachers' teaching is very formulaic. There's a right way to do things. There's a wrong way to do things. Here's the technique. Here's the five steps. Here's the eightfold path. Here's the way to uh, do this. This is the best way to do this. This is what the Bible calls human systems. We create these legalistic systems, and then we you know, kind of brand it and market it and put it out there, and we say, you know, here's, here's the tenfold path. Um, Colossians chapter 2 warns us about this. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits, that's human systems, uh, of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have an appearance of wisdom. It sounds right. Do it this way. This is the way that worked for me. But uh, it's promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh, and they end up enslaving us. Beware of formulas. Uh, they're also cultic. <laughs> they're built around these idealistic personalities or visions of community that, again, set up the like us-them dichotomy. 
we're the winners, we're the good guys, we're the successful ones, these are the out people, these are the, these are the ones that you need to worry about. Uh, but it's usually built around a very idealistic uh, leader or vision. It tends to be very exclusionary. It tends to isolate you uh, from other people who are key influences in your life and says, you know, no, you've moved on, you've evolved, you've pivoted, you need to leave them behind. Uh, I love Dietrich Bonhoeffer here. He was a pastor in Germany during the Nazi uh, regime. Here's what he says about this idea. He calls it the idea of the wish dream in his book, Life Together. He says, God hates visionary dreaming. That's a statement. God hates visionary dreaming. God's not against entrepreneurs. He's not saying he hates visionaries. What he's saying is the kind of visionary who has ideas in their head and then, and then casts this idealist, idealistic vision for a community and then rallies people around it in a very cultic way. God hates visionary dreaming. It makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. The man who fashions a visionary ideal of community demands that it be realized by God, by others, and by himself. He enters the community of Christians with his demands, sets up his own laws, and judges the brethren and God himself accordingly. He stands adamant, a living reproach to all others in the circle of the brethren. He acts as if he is the creator of the Christian community, as if his dream binds men together. When things do not go his way, he calls the effort a failure. When his ideal picture is destroyed, he sees the community going to smash. So he becomes first an accuser of his brethren. It's your all's fault. You all couldn't do this right. Then an accuser of God. And finally, the despairing accuser of himself. When the morning mists of dreams vanish, then dawns the bright day of Christian fellowship. I love that. Be careful about cultic personalities and visionary leaders inside the church. And then finally, it's parasitic. Parasitic. False teaching feeds, right? Parasites don't have a life of their own. They only exist at the expense of a host. So it feeds on a host party's doubt, cynicism, weakness, vulnerability, right? Uh, or a wound. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 13. They are blots and blemishes, Peter says, speaking of the false prophets, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They eat with you. They come over to your house. They enjoy, they seem like likable people, reasonable people. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls, people who are not confident, who are, uh, who've been wounded. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. They promise them freedom. Cast off all your restraints. You're going to be free. Do this. Follow me. They promise freedom. But they themselves are slaves of corruption. So the question we want to ask here in the fruit of teaching is, do they move my heart to obey the teachings of Jesus as found in the Gospels and the rest of the Bible? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Jesus presents himself as a prophet, as a teacher, and he says, this is the way to life, follow me. And so the question we need to ask is, do these teachers lead me and my heart? Do they stir up fresh affection for me, a longing to submit myself to the teachings of Jesus, the clear teachings of Jesus? Or... Do they stir up doubt in me? Do they stir up a longing to follow the leader or the human system instead of Jesus? These are so subtle, but we want to be a community like the Bereans. I think in the New Testament, Acts chapter 17, in Acts 17 it says, when Paul, one of the greatest teachers in the New Testament, comes into Berea, uh, Paul preaches the gospel and it says they receive the word with eagerness examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They didn't even take Paul at face value. And Paul was a great teacher. 
So I think it's a call for us to immerse ourselves in God's word and really be a discerning community who don't take things at face value. Last thing, the fruit of their influence, Titus chapter 1, verses 10 through 11. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. And then he goes on to write in chapter 2, uh, avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. The fruit of the ministry, the, the influence of a teacher will be felt in over time. It will be revealed in the people who follow them. False teacher stirs up dissension, quarrels, division, sows seeds of doubt, upsets communities of people. They're arsonists, not architects. You know the difference? It's easy to be a destructive minority rather than a creative minority, to burn down and tear down and deconstruct. But the question is, what are we building? Sound doctrine and true prophets and teachers, lowercase p, I think are people who, um, who, who build people up. They're people who bring about the fruit of faith, hope, and love. False teachers sow doubt, they sow cynicism, and they sow hatred or indifference or exploitation. True prophets bring about faith, hope, and love. And so again, this is a call for us to be careful. Be careful about getting swept up into movements. If you're a person that finds yourself attracted to the energy and the excitement of movements, be careful, slow down, pay attention. Don't be swept away by the fruit of somebody's platform or their celebrity status or how many followers they have be careful second little application here under influence um, this is why we have the church one of the roles of the church historically in the life of the community is to test and guard people against false teaching and i think it's one of the dangers of being a free agent christian is you are vulnerable to this kind of teaching if you're not hooked into a community of faith um, no teacher in the New Testament was self-attested. They didn't come with like a calling card or a driver's license that said, you know, professional prophet. They had a community of people that were accrediting them, that were pacing them and testing them and their teaching and their authority and their influence. So don't allow that to frustrate you. It can be slow to come into a church and get platformed and get empowered. There's a lot of talk about empowerment. We talk about that as a church. But we need to balance empowerment with discernment. Balance empowerment with discernment. That's why Paul was always saying to people, I'm sending so-and-so to you, receive them, right? Welcome them. Why? Because Paul was giving credibility to those people. And that's one of the roles that the church plays in the Christian community. Last thing under influence I'll say is pay attention to your season of life. You are very vulnerable. You are most vulnerable to false teaching during seasons of transition, during seasons of wounding, during seasons of grieving, during seasons of success, during seasons of sickness, uh, during the dark night of the soul, when you are questioning everything and everyone and you're unsure and you're unsteady, that's the language there, you're unsteady, watch out. That is when you are the most vulnerable. And so be, be, careful, be careful of what influences and what people and relationships you allow into your heart, into your imagination, especially in those seasons. People can do great harm to you. So as we go to communion, this is a heavy, right? Like, man, what a great thing to talk about on uh, race weekend. It's beautiful outside and we're talking about false prophets. Yeah, but like, 
how many of us, man, our lives have been upended by people who've influenced us, who've shipwrecked our faith, who've been a part of uh, Satan's efforts to kind of undermine us and destroy our confidence in God and our walk with Jesus and our, and our path towards the good life that Jesus is inviting us here on the Sermon on the Mount. This is a call for us. I don't think, so three things quickly, uh, a call to become watchful, not watchdogs. Jesus is not here, I think, calling us to like set up a discernment ministry or go protest a certain podcast or whatever. He's just saying, don't get all hung up and being suspicious and cynical and like doubting every authority structure and doubting and like, you know, it's like see a church where we create this like mood of suspicion where we're like looking at each other going, is it you? You know, is, is it you? No, I think we need to be asking, is it me? Right? Is it me? I need to watch myself first, my life, my doctrine, and then I look out and I begin to just be watchful and pay attention. He doesn't say to do anything other than just beware. Beware. Be deep. Be watchful. Be, be thoughtful. Watch out is the same thing as like wake up. Don't be sleepy and just assume that everyone is here, everyone that's here is a safe person. Second thing, follow the true prophet, right? This is a call to follow Jesus. Jesus was the true prophet who came into the world to bring truth and beauty and goodness. Jesus came. He lived the life that we couldn't live, died the death that we should have died. He brought the ways of God, the pathways of God, the healing of God, the redemption of God into this world. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So it's a call to follow him, to trust him, to submit our lives first and foremost to him. And as we do that, the last thing is we become, I think we have a potential to become true prophets in the lower P kind of sense. We become people whose lives and whose teaching and whose influence leads others towards life, not death. We, we lead others towards healing, towards faith, towards hope, towards love, not towards destruction. And that's the call for us is to become a prophetic community, a community who speaks the truth in love to one another, who embodies the prophetic ministry that Jesus is calling us to here, rooted in the ways of Jesus, the person of Jesus. We now look around and we speak life. We don't come as wolves seeking to devour and consume one another. We come as guides, as luminaries, as helpers, as sages, as prophets, bringing the wisdom and the love and the truth of God into our community so that God can change us. That's the invitation as we come to communion, to receive that word as good news, right? Jesus has given us all that we need to thrive. We desperately need clarity, don't we? We need clarity. The world is confusing. We have struggles. And Jesus has given us that in this body. He's given us his body broken for us, his blood shed for us to bring us to the true and good and beautiful way of being human together. And so I want to invite you, if you're a follower of Jesus, if that is your hope, if that's what you're trusting in for your righteousness, we want to invite you to come and receive communion. We have stations at the front, stations in the back. The way that we do that here at Soma, if you're a guest with us, is you can come, take a moment to examine yourself, to confess your sin, to be reminded that God loves you and he is with you and he is for you uh, in these warnings that God has not abandoned us to try to figure this out on our own, but he's given us all the resources we need to be the people that he's calling us to be. And so it's, a, it's an opportunity for us to be reminded of that. So come, uh, take a piece of the bread, tear it off and dip it into the cup and then return to your seat. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we'd invite you just to stay in your seat and maybe pray to God and ask him, God, would you speak to me? Would you bring clarity? Would you show me that this stuff is real? It just seems impossible. It seems like this is crazy. Would you just ask God, maybe have the humility to to ask God, open up my eyes, show me what's true, reveal yourself to me. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to take communion together, and then we'll send you back out, sing a few songs. Father, we thank you that you are...
the true prophet. You are God who loves truth. And you are constantly speaking your truth to us, revealing your truth to us, most perfectly in the person of Jesus, who is the great prophet who came into the world, not just as a prophet, but as very God himself. God who took on flesh, who entered into the chaos and the mess of our suffering in our lives, the, the, the confusion, the sin, the suffering, who came to reconcile us back to a relationship with you and to set right ultimate reality, what it means to be human. So God, help us to receive those words as true and good and beautiful. And God, would you just light our insides on fire with that truth? Would you transform us? Would you convict us of our sin? Would you call us out of our complacency? Would you wake us up where we are sleepy today and we need to hear your truth? We need to repent and we need to come back to you. God, make us prophets who point others to the ways and the works of Jesus. The power and the presence of God is here among us. And God, we want to claim those truths as our own today and not be like the hypocrites who hear these words, but don't obey them. Father, thank you for this grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.